Welcome to Startup Confidential. What food and beverage industry players will never tell you that you need to know if you're running a startup. Let's do this. Welcome to episode 34. Why your one-page strategic plan is lame. For years, I've talked about having a one-page strategic plan, which contains your one-line competitive strategy and outlines the key playbook you're testing to drive exponential growth for your business if you're ready to ride the ramp. And, and honestly, not everybody listening is really ready for that ever. So, you know, that's a valid business decision. I even gave away my own template, my little one-page template to another 20 folks last month at my quarterly Riding the Ramp webinar. Psst, the next one is December 4th. And please sign up now because spaces are limited. You'll find the link on my founder resources page. Now I will stop plugging myself and whispering like a moron. But there's a problem. Most one pages out there suck. Why? Not because I didn't write them. Someone's thinking that. Smartass. They're not based on real data, folks, or any empirical understanding of your actual competitive position. That's why so many of these one-pagers are lame. They're, they're literally just a strategery, bad translation into strategery of essentially some chest-beating pitch deck slide that was written. And honestly, it might have worked. So, you know, don't knock it for the pitch deck. But, the, you know, this, a strategic plan, whether it's one page or one million pages, oh my God, <laughs> one page, please, it is designed to keep you focused on your competitive battle. It is your Sun Tzu manual. And so, you know, keep it to thyself. Thank you very much. Not all of it needs to go into an investor deck, for example. So I keep coming back to this data thing. It seems to be a recurring theme in all my media buzz, my media, whatever it is that I'm doing. <laughs> and there's the data part of the data undergirding your one-page strategic plan, and then there's your ability to interpret that data well right after you've collected it. Look, there's no one preordained strategy that you have to find some magical set of talismans, i.e. data, to discover and execute. This is not a fantasy novel for 14-year-old boys, okay? This is business. There are usually multiple strategies that you could decide to choose that will work based on your offering in its competitive situation with your financing situation, yada, 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 down the line. And that's where the primal risk exists for all of you. You got to pick one. You got to stick to it as the world surrounds you with doubt, skepticism, rage, indifference, hate, love, uncritical love and applause being the worst until basically your strategy doesn't work and you rip it up. Well, maybe not quite so emotionally, but you know, you have to take another look at it if it's not working. So the alternative to the one page plan, which really isn't like an overwhelming thing, if you think about it, that keeps you and your team focused. The alternative is basically what I call tactical flailing. I mean, and that's what a lot of people do, especially those who don't have some kind of professional background in sort of disciplined production leading to an outcome. I mean, that could be academia, it could be business, it could be a triathlon, it could be you you name it, right? But if that level of discipline, and folks, this is mental discipline, that's what it is, is new to you, then you are going to be highly exposed to near-term signals, wins, 
gusts of hot air from old white men just trying to throw you in all sorts of directions. Data-driven brands with a focused strategy I know from experience are better able to ignore the smoke and mirrors, the shiny objects, the trade show distractions, and on and on that you are currently encountering and will encounter. Skate ramp brands, the ones that grow exponentially off a small base featured in my book, Ramping Your Brand, they pick, commit, and then if necessary, repick and alter that strategy as they grow, as they ride up that ramp, and they adapt their playbook to changing competitive circumstances, but they're always following a near-term strategic plan. Here's the thing, though. If you don't use real external data as the foundation for that strategic plan, you're just winging it all over again. It's just a piece of paper then. I mean, it's not even clear if a plan without market data is even helping you much. I mean, it might be a massive overwrought mission statement. (laughs) And even worse, without data from your fans about why they love you, that's pseudo-objective at least, you're more easily going to project your own motives Onto them, leading to even more bizarre mistakes, mistaken buyer pitches, poor messaging on your package, poor communications work, and the list goes on and on of playbook blunders that stem from a dataless plan. There are some very well-publicized startups, folks, that raised enormous sums of cash up front in the last five years, often led by serial CEOs and founders, all right? And they alone can afford to paper over any blunders they may or may not have made with that enormous cash cushion. I mean, it buys time for them to course correct. And you don't have that cash cushion if you misfire wildly into the wrong channels and geographies. Again, this, you know, the cash-rich serial founder thing, it can work for them, But it's simply not a path available to 95% of you listening because you're the undercapitalized startup I wrote my book for. So please ignore the headlines about these companies. The media, look, the media falls whatever drives clicks, you know, in the trade. And that means covering big raises, what serial CEO Mark Awesome is doing next, and what skate ramp winner thinks about, well, anything. And oh, wait, plant-based meat. Yes. Vegan clickbait, baby. Click, click. Did you know that watermelons are vegan? Click. Whenever I see an ad or anything in the media for plant-based meat, folks, you know, I, I immediately go have some beef jerky to bring balance back to the force. Okay, let me get back to the topic of this episode. If you're wondering how to best figure out what your consumers, your fans, really think about you so that your strategic plan actually has an empirical foundation and is not an overwrought mission statement. Here's the key. you got to focus on your fans who buy you repeatedly and preferably those who have created a habit of buying you at least once a month for more than six months in a row. That would be the minimum definition of some kind of CPG purchasing habit. And look, these are folks you can reach through survey technology that is now unbelievably cheap. I mean, compared to what it cost 20 years ago, you just wouldn't have done it. You would have just flown blind as a B2B thingamajig, right? And the reason you can do it is because you can find these folks from your email list and from your social media follower base. It's called purposive sampling in quantitative research. And that sample, because it's about your fans, is deliberately biased because that bias has analytical value. In this case, for understanding why people repeat purchase. If you're really sexy, you'll always have a small sample of the non-repeaters, and then you can cross-check for statistical significance against some key variables. Don't have to do that, but you know you really want to be, you know, truly awesome. 
In fact, one of the strongest signs of brand health I've discovered in my client work with startups and early stage companies is the completion rate on one of my patented little client surveys. Or any survey, honestly, that you feel to your email lists or social followings. Let me explain. I once had a client with 15,000 Instagram followers who couldn't get 500 completes on a five-minute, i.e. really freaking short, survey for repeat purchases of their awesome wow brand. Why? Well, first of all, they had a really low repeat rate problem. And two, they'd stuffed their IG page with bullshit followers driven there by paid influencer shills. Okay, this is what happens when you follow the impatient cute puppies theory of digital attention getting. What do cute puppies have to do with your brand? Nothing. That's my point. So why the hell are they all over your IG feed? I had a client, on the other hand, who had, you know, about a thousand emails scrubbed and 4,000 IG followers who garnered 600 completes of a five-minute fam survey, same survey, in 48 freaking hours. That's phenomenal. Those people were jacked about that founder's brand. That's a brand <laughs> built on real passion. That's what it yields you. That's one sign of it is how quickly hundreds and hundreds of your fans who are actual repeat purchasers, and yes, it's designed to screen out the liars, will complete your five-minute little survey. They're happy to do it, right? That's a brand built on passion, hard work, and out-of-store grinding, honestly, is how you build that kind of fan base. It's not built on Ibotta coupons. Ibotta, Ibotta, Ibotta consumer base. If you want exponential growth, you'd be crazy not to build your one-page plan on fresh fan feedback and market data. Otherwise, whatever competitive strategy you put down, it could be way, way off target. It could be easily a strategy that is simply to acquire clones of yourself. And if so, I hope you know how to build those clones very quickly, folks. I'm not discounting the fact that you may be an intuitively innovative, lucky genius like the founder of Skimmy Pop and have launched with basically the just the right symbolism. But this is super rare. And even in, in the case of Andrew Friedman, he wasted his time for a couple of years selling shitty kettle corn out of a tin and didn't know why I wasn't selling right away. you know. But the reality is that lucky intuition, perfect market, you know what I'm going to say, that crap never happens. It's much more likely that you will become a skate ramp brand, an exponential grower, because you are a master experimenter, iterator, and you listen to the market, and you had some basic humility as a business person. And this is why I spent years deconstructing the rules that skate brands have followed even if it was done unconsciously intuitive by specific founders, intuitively by specific founders. The patterns are explainable causally, folks. Now, for most of you, therefore, I can say that a more analytical, less blindly B2B approach to growing your premium CPG brand is going to be key to scaling in the 2020s. When in reality, the COVID-19 pandemic that we're dealing with still is literally the smallest headwind long-term for your business. I, I really, really believe that. You're going to look back and see it as not the biggest issue you were dealing with. The biggest ones are still the same. Your premium price point and the fact that most people don't want to trade up and don't see the value. And literally the sheer consumer inertia inside your operating category, which you must work really hard to get them over. So if you want to rethink your one-page plan, I'll be taking yes another cohort through my proprietary webinar on December 4th, in which I will not whisper like a jackass during the whole thing. Just visit my website which is now brand spanking refreshed, www.premiumgrowthsolutions.com 
slash webinars to grab your spot. I only have 20 for each one of these. And this December one is a makeup for the one I missed because of the pandemic shit show that hopefully you are now adapted to. And if you had some personal tragedy, I really feel for you. And my heart goes out to you and your family. Stay safe, everyone. That's all I have this time. And remember, be safe out there. Dr. Richardson's new book, Ramping Your Brand, is available now on Amazon. Please check it out and spread the word. And don't forget also to take his Founders Quiz to see if your team is ready to ride the ramp of exponential growth. You can download the quiz at rampingyourbrand.com anytime. And feel free to share your scores with Dr. Richardson anytime at james at premiumgrowthsolutions.com.